welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey, everybody, this week I am joined by Kalet Connerid Lundgren, and he is from Cree or Livy, as you might know it, uh, Europe's largest digital healthcare provider, which has today delivered over 8 million patient appointments and has over 54 health clinics in France, Sweden and Norway. Calais is a self-confessed coding clinician nerd and sneaker geek with a large collection of colourful trainers to his name. Keller is driven by a passion for how technology can transform healthcare delivery to provide meaningful patient experiences and improved clinical outcomes. He's a specialist and associate professor in reconstructive plastic surgery and craniofacial diseases, had previous positions at Karolinska University Hospital, ranked as one of the world's best university hospitals, where he was responsible for all operational strategy and medical technology. In 2021, he moved to Europe's fastest growing health tech startup, Cree, known as Livy in the UK and France. And at Cree, Calais is Chief Operations Officer and leads the company's global operations team responsible for expanding Cree's offer and prioritizing more efficient digital healthcare for patients and clinicians. Mate, that's a heck of an introduction. Um, you're a busy man and uh, you've done a, a lot in your career and congrats for getting to where you are. Delighted to have you on, mate. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was uh, some introduction, but yeah, it's all true, I hope. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to getting into it. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today? I'm sitting in a small village called Valby. It's about 45 minutes outside of Stockholm where we have our summer residence. Ah, very nice. Very nice. I've been to Stockholm and absolutely loved it. So Kalle, listen, it'd be great to get your full story. I mean, we've had a bit of it there, right? So obviously starting in medicine and moving out to do lots of different things. It's not... It's not your typical path. And actually to go from surgery to what you're doing now, I'm sure whether you are operating or not still, I don't know, but you must miss operating if you're not. But it'd be great to hear that whole story. And I mean, Operations for Cree is such a huge global company now. It must be a heck of a ride. So yeah, it'd be great for you to tell us your story. Yeah, I am actually still doing surgery. Not as often as I used to, but but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I'm born and, and raised in Stockholm in the I mean in a city kid but really from a home with um, my, my father's been in the cultural sector in in the arts industry and so on and and nothing really draw me to to medicine from the start or technology for that matter I actually started my my training and my my first interest was physics theoretical physics and I started my my training after high school in um, in physics, turning into biophysics. And the first thing I did was actually to take my PhD in biophysics and biochemistry. Uh, and I was quite set on uh, on having a research career. But somewhere during my my uh, time when I when I did my PhD, I, I got this idea that uh, systems biology also seems interesting. So maybe I should become a, a doctor. Started med school, also studied economy at the same time. Did that for, for a couple of years, finished med school at Karolinska Institute in, in Sweden, but never really felt it was my thing at that point in time. So, so I went back to, to research in the laboratory, uh, fully set on doing that for, for the yeah, remainder of my, my life, or as far as I could see at that point in time. A year went on or, or so, and uh, and people kept saying to me, "But now you you've done med school and so on. Are you not, never going to practice? Well, why did you do it?" And I, I I never had a good answer. So I I basically realized that I, I better try at least. So so I did. I I did um, my in in Sweden after med school. You have this one year of practical training. So I, I did that and. Uh, quite quickly uh, realized that uh, surgery was probably something that, that that was actually quite fun and that I wanted to do. I, uh, still to this day, my 
my sort of hobby if I have some time off is doing carpentry and and, and building stuff and so on. And and <laughs> I was actively looking for the speciality that was mostly a technical challenge with the hands. And uh, I, I realized that reconstructive plastic surgery, that's probably it. Not sure if I'm wrong or right, but but that's the reason I choose it. So I did my my training um, and um, became a consultant and a senior consultant and uh, enjoyed it a lot. I still did, did research as well on the side, very preclinical research, nothing really that that related much to my my clinical work in the hospital. After some time, I, I got as as I think many that that later turned into sort of management careers in healthcare. I got increasingly frustrated by how the healthcare system was set up and so on. So I I took on uh, yeah various management or leadership roles gradually, starting from by running a a, a section or a, or a part of of a clinic. I, I traveled quite a bit to to learn more about how to operate um, healthcare organizations uh, in general. I went to Taiwan for close to a year. I, I've, I've been to Seattle, uh, to Birmingham in the UK, working there for a while. And then I, I basically decided that uh, I better run this on my own if it's if it's going to go the way I want it to. And with that, I mean running the sort of clinics and operations and so on. So the first major thing I did was to actually set up a craniofacial center at Karolinska University Hospital catering to, to Europe. So that was, that was a commercial in initiative within the public sector, which is rare in, in Sweden, at least. That was fairly successful. Uh, I then became head of head of department for, for plastic surgery, craniofacial surgery, and, and maxillofacial surgery, and did that for a couple of, uh, of years. Then I was about to, to um, leave the hospital world to get into to the um, sort of, um, yeah, the, the private side. When um, Karolinska University Hospital, which was a hospital in a problematic state at that time with uh, heavy losses, major reorganizations had been done, not entirely successful and so on. And the new CEO came in place, Björn Soega, for, for Karolinska. He contacted me and I thought that this is a challenge I can't miss. We set out to turn around the economy and the production at Karolinska University Hospital and said that, let's give it two years. I jumped on as uh, chief operating officer for the hospital. And we uh, had an amazing journey for two years, resulting in Karolinska being named the Europe's best hospital recently, um, number five in the world, production up 20%, economy going into a profitable state. And that was also the time when uh, two years had passed, and I moved on in my journey, taking us to more or less where we are now. I, I had decided already before that, that if you are to change healthcare as a sector, you're not going to do that in tertiary care. You need to do it in primary care. So I, I looked around and I was in discussions with very many companies across Europe and also a little bit in the US, and then um, decided that that. In, in my opinion, the best chance of changing healthcare at its core is joining uh, Cree Libby. Uh, so I did, and now I've been here for one and a half years, and that journey has started. That's an awesome story, man. And what's interesting to me is that it, it starts with theoretical physics and biophysics, and then it moves on to clinical medicine, and then it moves on to operations. And it moves on to, I guess you could call it entrepreneurship and then entrepreneurship almost with the, the craniofacial center. And then obviously Cree and big business and startups and tech. And you've spanned so many different things. So for people listening that 
I, like I, I relate to it because I, I often describe myself as a, I was a distracted medical student because I was just so interested by other things. And I couldn't make up my mind whether it was that, was it that I didn't like medicine? Well, not really, because I did. It was just that I was being so pigeonholed at the time that I felt like I had all these things that I wanted to explore. I don't know if that's relatable to you. Like what, what, what do you think it is about you that made you do all these different things? Is it that you had other interests? Is it that you were searching for something? Is it that you wanted this career and wanted to piece it all together? Like, What's the story behind all of this? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure I have a a clear answer, but I think there are some aspects that that, that have contributed to it at least. Uh, one is that this sort of I have a need to to change stuff. Yeah, and um, regardless of what it is, basically, I, I like to improve upon things and and change it, and and I I have this sort of operations is probably something that's close to the way I think. Um, it, it has to do with you know, logistics. It's the complexity of people. It's the understanding of economy. I, I mean, I think that the, the higher the complexity of the system, the more attractive it will be to me. Um, the, the more moving parts, so to speak, regardless of, 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 of what that is. And, and I think that may be somehow linked to theoretical physics, which is really about understanding system-level uh, things. Uh, the other common thread across everything I've been doing is, is technology. And that comes from, I guess, the same sort of place. If you're interested in, in theoretical physics, you basically need to learn how to code. So so 20 years ago, I, I, I was a decent coder. I'm, I'm not anymore, but but I used to be. And I've always believed that technology is, it, it does not have a value in itself, but it's, it's the most powerful tool we have to change how things are being done. Uh, same as, I mean, I guess electricity once, once upon a time. So, so all of the things that I have worked with trying to, to improve somehow, even if it's an organization or, or, or a procedure has, typically had an element of, of, of technology as part of the solution. But but you're also completely right that some of it is accidental. Uh, why, why have I moved around to different things and so on? Well, well, one thing I think is important, I always say this, I always say that if you spend like two years or something in healthcare, even if you're not from there from the beginning, even if you have no clinical training or you, you come from the outside, it's very hard to leave. Because this is the sexiest industry there is. It's the, the biggest money. It's the highest impact. It's moral and ethics. It's uh, commercial markets. It's life and death. It has everything. And if you, if you compare that to like banking or something, that's boring in comparison. So, so, so that, I think, is the reason why why it's been within healthcare most of the things, even though I think that many of my sort of acquired skill sets would probably work equally well in in a production industry of some sort. Yeah, I love what you just said there about technology has no value in itself. I think that's such a wise comment. And that's something that I've, I guess I've really started to feel recently with the explosion of technology especially with the explosion of like no code and how easy it is to build apps and web apps and all this sort of stuff now like it feels like there's been this proliferation of stuff that's relatively useless like <laughs> i know that that's like quite a that's quite a bold thing to say but like you, I, you know what i mean like i think it's it's e it's far easier to develop certain types of technology that can sort of find their way to to healthcare now and it, it sort of has felt that a lot of it is technology for technology's sake. And we had all this sort of web three and blockchain thing like come up really quickly and then disappear relatively quickly. But you're right. Like, even if you are talking about a, a blockchain technology or any sort of distributed ledger technology, like it, it practically just has no value in itself. It's how you actually apply it. But I like that you're obviously someone who, as you say, you loved seeing change. You understand technology 
you appreciate it has no value in itself, but your passion lies in actually applying it and applying it in healthcare, which as you say, is the sexiest industry of them all for all of those reasons. You talked about how you were frustrated with how healthcare was set up. And then you went on to found or set up or build this craniofacial center, which was commercial within the public sector. That's incredibly interesting. So can you explain that part of your journey to me? So what was frustrating to you about the healthcare system? Why was setting this center up the answer? And what does commercial within the public sector mean? Is there anything that we can learn in the UK from that? Yeah, no, but I, I think the frustration was healthcare is, is inefficient. I think that if I, if I were to pick one thing that's the reason for that that I've been seeing increasingly since I, I started in the sector is the bureaucracy that's being built on, on top of everything we do. The administration, the, the, the documentation, the uh, sort of collection of unnecessary data manually that is taking out more and more and more time from clinicians of, of all sorts. And it's creating um, a very cumbersome system for both patients and clinicians. Um, I don't think that the public sector can be given the sort of benefit of doubt to solve this for themselves anymore. Uh, it's it, Most of Europe, healthcare has been public by and large and been operated publicly for many years now. And this is the situation we are now in. That means to me that we need to adopt more of the principles that the sort of commercial or the, the, the open market is driving by, where efficiencies are increase, increasing over time. Because if they weren't, business will, will basically shut down. So it's not an ideological sort of standpoint from my end. It's just a public and, and businesses together is needed in the way of thinking to solve healthcare. And when I set that first organization up that, that, that we discussed, I, I saw that the easiest way to make sure that this works efficiently is a benefit to patients and so on is to open up the offer to the rest of Europe, having other healthcare providers sending patients to here and then um, getting paid for that, of course, and and making sure that that pay is covering the costs of operating the unit. Now, as simple as that. Uh, I think, and the reason this is so critical, the reason that this sort of, how, how you operate healthcare providers business-wise is that, I mean, we all know this, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that people understand the sort of the things that are at stake. If, if you look across Europe now and, and the US is, is even worse and most basically westernized countries have a, a GDP, GDP spend of healthcare by 11, 12% by now, that's only direct costs. If you're looking at the indirect costs, people not getting access to care or, or living with disease and so on, you would typically have to almost double that. So let's say 20% of GDP is going to healthcare. And if you then look at the, the sort of um, the, the, the increase in cost over the last couple of years and, and uh, the, the year by year, you can easily just draw the line and see that before you and I are retired, healthcare GDP is going to make up more than 50%. That basically means that we will have to shut down police or have no schools anymore. So this has to be handled. And, uh, and that's the, the, the journey where I feel most motivated to spend my time. Because it's not only about health and and people and patients with disease. It's also about society at large. Do you genuinely see that if the wrong decisions are made, that could go up to 50%? Is that real to you? Yeah. I, I think that if we follow the trajectory that we have been following for the last, say, seven or eight years in Europe, do nothing, 
then that's where we land. So we basically have to do things differently. What's happening right now, if you look at many countries, is basically that the the only thing that, that is counteracting this is limiting access. So people are not getting care. You have millions of patients waiting in in, uh, in 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 lines or queues to to even get into healthcare or to have their procedure done or something, that is of course not a sustainable solution. It's funny the when I spoke to I've, I've spoken to a few people recently that have got relatively similar views that particularly here in the UK where there's an NHS budget which has been relatively stable for many years yet the expectation of what the nhs has to achieve seems to be growing larger and larger not only for people's expectations around prevention at that bottom end but also the aging population etc at the top end and it seems to be this sort of Mm -hmm. there's this inevitability of collapse at some point that some very 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 well-informed people are quite scared of and so what you talk about this kind of not apathy, but this decision to kick the can down the road or do nothing or however you want to frame it, as you say, just really isn't good enough when the risk is that you might creep that 11, 12% up to 50%. And as you say, have to shut down other public services. And that's the other than that, that might seem quite, uh, quite extreme, but I, I can also see how we might get there. We had Conrad from the NIA. I spoke mm. to Conrad from the NIA, like the, the NHS Innovation Accelerator, who said a similar thing. And he actually pointed to, I spoke about this in a couple of podcasts now, but he spoke about the requirement for industry to get involved. So it's interesting, it, it's interesting that you've said, you know, the, the marrying of public sector and commercial thinking in order to generate better financial circumstances for public sector organizations and actually it seems that people at that end in the nhs are even thinking about this too about uh, you come up specifically was like it's it, we're solving farmers pain points why can't they get involved and solve some problems and actually do some joint thinking and so so much of this is around i think uh incentives and aligning incentives aligning yep. the incentives of the people with commercial Nows the people with commercial ability, the organisations with commercial ability, because it's not just about money. It is about mm-hmm. ability. It's about thinking. It's about strategy and operations as the world you're in. It is also about the finance, being able to fund it. Of course, it is, and having the capital in order to set things up. But if those things aren't run appropriately in a commercial way, then of course, then we're all going to suffer. Um, and I think you're right. It's, it's an uncomfortable conversation, though, particularly in the UK, where the NHS is so emotive, the public sector is so emotive. It is incredibly difficult. But I think almost one of the roles here on this podcast is to hear from people like yourself, because actually to hear that from you, that you have this view, you are a practicing clinician, you've still got a hand on patients and you're operating, but you're informed about the world of how healthcare can be commercial and even you're saying that we need to find this way down the middle i think it's i think it's really interesting but i'm sure you can appreciate how charged these conversations are particularly in the uk absolutely and and they are in in the in the nordics in scandinavia as well and so on i think the important thing is that some quite often these discussions end up with some some sort of either or or a competition yes. between the public sector and private providers and so on. And that, that that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, we view our most important partner as the public healthcare system and public providers. They're not our competitors. Yes. We don't compete against them. We we think that we need to work together to solve this problem. And and healthcare is also, I mean, comparing to other industries, it's not the demand problem here. I mean, in any country, demand is basically endless. Mm. I, I, would, I would love if we can utilize the technology that we've built within Creelivy for many years now, which is absolutely market-leading, cutting-edge. We'd love to share many of those capacities with the public system so that we can send patients across so the patients can follow their, their journey so that it makes sense to clinicians when a, when a patient is moving between providers because 
Obviously, no single healthcare provider is ever going to do everything for every patient within a care journey. So we need to make sure that this becomes more seamless, that we take out unnecessary visits, unnecessary procedures, repeated tests and so on, which is a huge resource drain. And again, coming back to what we discussed before, the only tool we have that can successfully achieve this is technology. Yes. And on that note, can you talk to me about Cree Levy? Can you talk to me about your move to Cree Levy? Like what attracted you to make that move um, and what you're mm-hmm. up to there? Cree started in, in Sweden about 78 years ago. And at that point in time, it was really a company uh, that had the, the today sounds like a rather simple idea, but the idea that you can have medical consultations over video rather than having the patient and the clinician travel to a common physical locality. Um, they worked before my time for many years to basically prove this. And I think the, the patients, they appreciated it fairly easily and quickly, but the medical world and, and the clinicians, they were very hesitant. So the Cree Livy was, was the pioneer of actually showing Europe that clinical consultations of high quality can be done over video, built technology in order to do that. Um, and that, of course, had huge benefits, not only for the individual patients, but it also gave the company um, the... Um, the, the tools uh, to see patients that live in medical deserts far from unit, far from a physical unit in remote areas and so on. And then COVID came. And I think by now it's safe to say that no one is no longer uh, questioning whether it's possible to have a digital consultation with, with a clinician. That, that's, that's taken for granted and, and everyone knows it. And um, when COVID came, that is probably the, the major impact that was had from COVID on the healthcare system, that that what became commonplace. But that was not new to Creelivit. That was already being done at scale. So what, what we are doing right now is working and building the technology to orchestrate healthcare. We believe that the time when you speak about digital or physical healthcare is over. There is no such thing. All healthcare journeys will have digital components and physical components in the future. That is unavoidable. It will happen. It, the only thing that's standing in the way are like human adoption to it and sometimes regulatory matters and, and, uh, and, and so on. But it's going to happen. I'm, I'm 100% certain it will. Technology to allow for a seamless journey for the patient, having digital and physical interactions, especially for chronic diseases and so on, is not in place. That's what we have built over, say, the last one and a half to two years when I came. And this is also the reason to answer your question, why did I, did I join the company? Well, I, I've been in, in discussions every now and then with, with Cree uh, for many years. But the company has been a little bit too small, perhaps, for to suit me. Uh, as, we, as we discussed, I, I like high complexity. I like a big machine to, to operate and uh, many moving parts, many markets. Uh, and, and by the time I joined, um, close to two years ago, the company had grown into being the, the largest digital fast healthcare provider in Europe, employing uh, thousands of clinicians, having physical units across markets, having digital setups, and so on. And, and the complexity was basically growing at an extremely rapid pace. And uh, now is the time to make this machine work with higher quality and more efficient than any other healthcare provider. The way I see it is that if we can do that, which we're about to do, then we will have uh, changed healthcare for real. Not because we are going to operate it all in all countries, because we are going to show how it can be done and others will follow. 
and that's uh, that's the journey we're on, and that's the reason I'm I'm here. So you you definitely like a complexity challenge, don't you? From the sounds of things, um, and none more so, I think, than Cree Livy at the moment. Who it feels like you guys are certainly one of, if not the leader in this space. There's also a responsibility that comes along with that, which it sounds like you are grasping. You are perfectly placed to tackle what exactly what you just talked about, which is this chronic disease journey of a patient. Mm-hmm. And this journey that involves digital components, physical components, as you've said, but being able to comfortably, effectively, seamlessly deliver that journey for patients who don't want anything complex. They just want a simple A to B with what feels like in their control. They know what's going on, fully informed, etc. And I think we've seen what's happened with Babylon recently. We've seen a lot of consolidation in the market from lots of different things. There's a resp- it almost feels like there's a, there's a, a bit of a responsibility on you guys to to sort of show that this is possible, that this is going to be the future, that as a business you guys can make this work. Um, can you talk to me about that chronic disease journey and what are what do you see from your position as you know operations in this? Uh, appreciating you're not going to be the operations of that journey specifically, but what? What are you betting on there? What what is the, the the world that you're looking to create with that chronic disease journey? Like, do you, can you talk to any specifics on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I first of all, I agree. We we have a huge responsibility right now, and and we we aim to to take that on. Um, and chronic diseases, or at least diseases that have continuous canines even if they may be cured at the end or so on, is what makes up most of the resource consumption in healthcare. And that is what healthcare needs to tackle. I think that the the simple way to view that is most journeys, if not all, when something comes up for a patient the first time, is going to start digitally. Meaning that you don't have to travel you typically, as a patient, are not entirely sure what, what this symptom is or, or what is this at the start of the thing or who you need to see or what tests you need to take or whatever. So the first sort of interaction with healthcare is really an important one where accessibility needs to be high and where the outcome of that meeting is to send you to the next place on your journey. And that should be the correct place. Uh, in some instances, that means a physical visit. In some instances, it means uh, uh, another digital one. It may mean testing or radiology or, or whatnot. Yeah. But importantly, that's the first step of navigating healthcare, which I think a healthcare provider needs to do for the patient. It's not the triage. This is typically confused. And many companies have spent a lot of their efforts on technology, on triaging patients. Uh, as, as for people not from the medical sector, triaging is really saying who has the most serious or at least time-wise critical state at this point in time. Uh, navigating the patient to the right instance of care is something completely different. I think that the technology having been built to triage patients it may be helpful for that, but it's not going to change healthcare. Mm. Navigating the patient within the healthcare system, that's how you change healthcare. And that's what we focus on. We can today already help patients with chronic diseases and patients living in, in um, medical deserts, for, for lack of a better word, much more efficiently than any other healthcare provider. I think it's safe to say. We are still limited when we need to help the patient go to other healthcare providers as well, because there we have a technological dead end, basically. And this is something where we can, to an extent, bridge that by supplying the patient with the technology to carry over to another healthcare provider. But the future is, of course, that 
all healthcare providers can share certain amounts of, of uh, patient information. It's, it's a, I mean, thinking of it, it's, it's rather ridiculous that we are sitting in 2023 within the medical community and writing letters to one another yeah, saying, dear colleague, can you please help me with this patient? I mean, come on. Yeah, I agree. That, that has to, has, has to be <laughs> innovated. <laughs> it does. There are these bizarre quirks that still remain. Um, but yes, we could do we could do probably another two hours on that. So I, I, I will move us on. I talked about the responsibility to the health tech space to make it as a business. And I think one of the things that I mean by that is that with a company such as Babylon, having what happened to it happen, it has a knock-on effect of sort of confidence in the space. And confidence of investors, confidence of LPs investing in venture funds that want to invest in digital health, that when national news is made like that, it can have this like real knock-on effect. And to avoid things like that, difficult difficult business decisions have to be made. And they have to be made in order to not only survive as a business, but thrive as a business. And that means that you keep growing. It means that you keep creating impact and those tough decisions need to be made. Now, it, it seems that Cree Livy has made some difficult business decisions in order to be successful, in order to remain having the ability to have impact on the patients it serves. And those tough business decisions many of us in the tech sector have had to make. But I read an article recently from Sifted that said that you guys are approaching profitability. And with that, obviously, becomes stability. It it comes the ability to make more impact in different ways. From your position being over operations, what's been your experience of that journey, those decisions? And I suppose, what does it mean for you to be profitable? and, And where does that take you in future? The most important reason to be a profitable company is that, I mean, coming back to what we have discussed now, is that if you cannot prove that you can run healthcare provisioning more effectively than, than others, you have no right to exist. Um, if, if you just provide additional healthcare at the same cost to society or a higher cost, you've solved nothing, basically. You, you've allowed for a number of extra patients to be seen, and that's great, but you've not changed healthcare at its fundamentals. So uh, it's time for us to prove that we can. And you're absolutely right. We already are in some places where we have a high maturity within the company. We are already more efficient and, and providing more care for less than, than, than competition or the public sector. Uh, I think that... The, Yes, we've been taking difficult decisions. The market turned quite rapidly for for not only us or our sector, but by and large, I would say, a while ago. And that was actually quite good timing for us because being still a rather new company, having been around for seven or eight years, the the first thing, obviously, you have to do as a new company, especially in 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 a space like healthcare, is to show that here we are, we can operate and we can provide healthcare at high quality and you expand and you explore and you do as much as you can to 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 set the footprint in the markets you're in basically and and create has done that extremely successfully that also means that we now have decent scale mm. compared to many others and our main priority now is not to explore perhaps in the very short run we we know where we are demand is endless where we sit um, we have a huge amount of patients that appreciate what we do now it's all about making sure that we do this efficiently and with high quality and that's the phase we're in now in, in terms of business decisions that has meant that we've had to say goodbye to to um, great colleagues of ours that have been working more on perhaps the explorative side of the company, whereas we've focused heavily on recruitment of clinicians and on um, operational uh, skill sets and capacity. So, so we've shifted 
rapidly and significantly how we operate as a company over the last one and a half years. Mm. We also decided to, when we saw that this will come in the market, we acted very quickly. So we started doing this already early 2022. And that, that I think, was the absolutely right decision because that means that we are now through it. 22 was a turbulent year in many ways, but now we are on a very star, steady path towards being profitable in all the markets that we operate and it's really in our hands by this time. We, we could be profitable mm. tomorrow, but that's not the only goal we have. We also want to make sure that we build a sustainable company that can keep growing and that we never skip on quality and so on. So we are still investing to an extent, but perhaps in a less explorative and more focused way. I understand. You mentioned acting quickly being one of the strengths or one of the one of the best qualities i guess of perhaps someone in your position that's over operations to react quickly to what markets are doing and what the company needs and what you want to do what else do you think is needed in your position as head of operations of this company what what other qualities do you lean on in yourself to do a good job as head of operations of such a large company? Mm. Good question. I think my, my own experience is that the bigger your responsibility and, and the larger the sort of part of the company or, or, or thing that you lead, the better you have to become at taking decisions with poor information. Mm. Um, so, the, the, you you never have complete information. You often don't understand it in full because it gets too complex. It's too large, too many variables, but you still have to make a decision. You can never allow yourself to become the bottleneck. If you sit and you do not take a decision when a decision is needed, the whole company will suffer in pace. So so that, I think, is is what you need to be able to achieve. How do you do that? Well, you need to sort of develop the skill, I think, to be really good at if you have 100 variables in front of you, understand which are the three that actually matters. 97 of them, they, they, they won't matter that much, but three really will. Uh, which ones are they? Focus on them, decide on them, and go. Uh, and then related to, to my first point there, you have to make sure that you have a great team around you and you have to mandate them and rely on them and have their back so that they take the majority of the decisions in, in, in daily matters because that's going to be better decisions than your own since they're closer to the matter of whatever is, is um, running. I'm sure that is incredibly relatable to people working in startups of all sizes no matter what their job description being able to make decisions based on lack of information i mean that that's so so relatable to me at the very least um i think i think one thing as well with that is just just making the decision you can be proud of yourself for doing i think beating yourself up for a decision that has been made that didn't go your way well you were acting on the decision that you had right i can see you shaking your head like exactly it's it's so difficult so i almost wonder if one of the skills there or one of the additional bits there is is also not to judge yourself for the decisions that you have made i think you could make your world quite overwhelming quite quickly if you were to constantly analyze the decisions that had been made that could have been made slightly differently i think in part it must be at the sort of scale that you're making those decisions like you've just got to make it and move on right yeah and i mean be wrong quickly yeah take another one the, the best thing uh, to approach it i think is take a decision if it proves not to be the, the, the right decision, then you take a new decision in the other direction. Uh, the, the, the only thing problematic about taking wrong decisions if you, is if you stick to that decision for, for too long, even after it's been proven to you that it wasn't the right one. 
then you you are are driving the company perhaps in in a difficult direction. But take a decision, never stand still is one of the mm. principles I, I try to install in, in my organizations always. Never stand still. If you move, even if you move in the wrong direction, you will learn something from it and then you can always change direction again, but don't stand still. Yeah. Because if you stand still, nothing happens in either direction. Do you know what? So true. And actually, I think recently i think change my my ability to change my mind with new information and not wrap up my ego in a previous decision that i calculated and took ages over and made i think has been a massive strength and like almost like this brand new superpower that i've got of like yeah i said that thing yesterday i've completely changed my mind today and although that can be incredibly frustrating mm-hmm. that people for people that work around me um i know that in fact i know for a fact it is but I still think that that is a huge superpower to not wrap your ego up in decisions that have been made. But on that note, what are the decisions that you're making now? What What is your job now? What are the problems that you're solving now? What are your priorities? What do you enjoy? What do you have to do in your day? Can you give me some flavor of what a week looks like for you and, and what your priorities are, what you're excited about, that kind of thing? Uh, it's It's... All over the place, I'd say. I mean, it's everything from in a particular market or situation, what is the patient flow that we should focus on first? Mm. Um, how should we set this up? What what sort of touch points should, it, should we offer the patient within that flow? What should we prioritize tech-wise in what we build for our clinicians or on the patient side of things? That sort of thing. Uh, it's it's like broader aspects of the same. So, like, should we focus towards this part of of healthcare in a given market? And then it's of course um, always keeping track of how internally effective are we within the company. I mean, how how do we work? How do we? operate in the company so that the company can operate well. And that's everything from how we organized to who is leading what to uh, where's the focus and and do we share priorities across teams and between organizational parts and so on. So just a quick question for you on that. Just sorry to jump in. When 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 you're doing that, and as you say, trying to figure out what's most efficiently internally, are you, when it comes to you, is that numbers? Are you looking at numbers there to make decisions or are you connected to people who give you a download of what's going on and you need to make decisions based on that information? Like how are you like very practically now, like, yeah, okay. F- sharpening up the internal operations of a company. Like what does that actually look like at a, a, a health tech company, the size of Cree? I, I follow a tremendous amount of numbers, uh, right. both from how we operate externally and, and what we have internally but I would never take a decision only based on numbers. Yeah. That's I would speak to the people. And if I surround myself, which I think I do at this point in time, with, with the right team and the right people that I work with, if, if, I've, if I'm ever in a conflict, the numbers says one thing and the person says another, I would go with the person. Mm. If I... And, and, and I even view it as if, if I have someone working close to me that believes that we can officiate something by doing X and numbers indicate Y, we would, of course, discuss it. But but if that person sticks to X, that's what we go by. And I believe that if you surround yourself with the right persons, they will be right. Mm. And they typically are. Then I also think that in, in big, big companies and and. There is usually not one thing that is correct and the other is incorrect. It's equally important that the people that are actually meant to to run with this believe in it than that it is, because then it will turn into being an effective way of working. If if they don't, it won't, even if the numbers indicate it. So, So you'll have to sort of weigh these different aspects, both the numbers and the dialogue, and and so on, mm. I think. Mm. So for Cree right now, just starting to wrap this up, but for Cree right now, you're 
overall the operations of the company, where is the company going from an operations perspective? Um, what are you what are you trying to do right now? What's the sort of main thing that you're driving from an operations perspective right now at Cree? We are we are moving from we're still on the move from being a company uh, some years ago, which was set up based on having um, a high number of one-off visits digitally into being a company that operates healthcare at the system level. Our markets are different in maturity and in, in size still. So, but that is the, the road we are walking on for all of our markets. That's the technology that we build to, to allow for that and, and how we operate um, a system or an ecosystem level of healthcare is really the, the operational journey that we are on. And that means many things. It means um, shifting how we are set up within the company and how we work together. It means what technology do we build? It means what units and partners do we engage with and everything. And what are you, what are you excited about right now? Like you've, you've got, going right back, right? Like you've been part of all of your theoretical physics stuff. You've been part of clinical medicine. You're still operating. You've set up centers. You've, you're obviously now doing everything opposite creep. Like what, what's, what's exciting for you right now in terms of what you're up to or where you see healthcare going or anything you want to be part of or are part of what's, what's getting you up out of bed in the morning? I'm actually now starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for healthcare. Interesting. I, I seriously, yeah, believe that what we are doing right now, primarily in the Nordics, which is our most mature and big market, is a shift that is replicable across markets of how you can operate healthcare, allowing for better access and more patients to be taken care of for less spend and with happier clinicians. And, and that is, that's mega mm. if we can do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be quite confident that we are actually on that road and we are moving at a fairly good pace. Mm. So I think that a year or, or so or, 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 or five years for that matter from now, I think we'll look back at the time we are sitting in right now as a company and perhaps feel that this is the time we, we did it. This is the critical awesome. period of time when we actually nailed it. So that's exciting for me to hear because that, that's wonderful. The, the only follow-up that I would have is in order to ensure, because you mentioned at Nordics, right? In order to ensure that was replicatable globally, what is if you could click your fingers and have one thing happen, either from a policy perspective or from a mindset perspective of certain people or whatever you want? What's going to enable that globally? You're onto it. It's it's policy and, and regulations, and not because I've experienced so far that any particular market have a, a, a regulatory a rule or a policy that's completely preventing something. Yeah. But because they are shifting so much and they are so slow to adopt to, to the advances of technology and, and uh, advances of how we operate, it, it slows everything down. And it makes it hard to scale certain things across markets, not because they principally can't be scaled. The patients have the same diseases, the treatments are the same, the clinicians are trained the same, and the internet also works the same. So all of it is basically scalable. But then the, the sort of bureaucracy makes it extremely slow in certain aspects. And I, I, I seriously believe that the, the countries or regions that can't increase the speed of how they handle bureaucratic matters like this is going to be at the, the, uh, the losing end of healthcare. They, that is the countries and regions that will have to pay by by increasing the taxes or, or having poor access to care or whatever it is. So I think it's in, in all our interest to, to speed it up. And, and, and that's what I, that's my wish that that became easier. 
is it speeding up the access? Is it speeding up the? Is it is it their attitude to risk that is the problem because of all the policy problems, or is it something more specific around adoption or change? Or I guess what I'm hearing from you is that actually it's more just a a general government and political inertia. It's the it's more the difficulty of all of the little things that need changing in order to facilitate the adoption of a new technology system. Is that what you're saying? It's those, those little things. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I think that nowadays when, when we engage with regulators of different sorts and so on, everyone agrees that stuff needs to change mm. and that what we are doing is an important part of, of the system and so on. So we're not met with resistance, uh, rather the opposite. And we are often invited to to um, hearings on by policymakers and, and, and regulators and so on in, in the markets where we operate. So it's a good collaboration. It's really, you're onto it. It's the inertia, it's the bureaucratic system per se that makes everything mm. so slow. Mm. Awesome. Kala, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I guess one thing, if you could leave us with something positive and optimistic, um, from a technology standpoint or from or from any standpoint, really, um, Cree uh, being scaling into all of these markets, doing all of these incredible things, um, it must be incredibly exciting for you personally. It seems like this is the coming together of... Well, you mentioned it, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of healthcare. This is an ex- incredibly exciting period. But for you personally, it also feels like it's the coming together of everything that you've done so far. The theoretical physics and what that taught you about operations, the clinical medicine and the surgery and what that taught you about uh, being patient first and wanting to serve in a healthcare system that's better for them. And then obviously combining all of those things to do operations. It must be it must be delightful for you personally to sort of reflect and and be like hey i'm i'm kind of here i've i've kind of done it like i'm i'm doing the good thing you know yeah i'm not sure i'll i'll reflect when i get older i'm, I'm still in the fight so I'll, I'll keep fighting for 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 some time more to to win this fast but but you, yeah maybe you're right i mean the positive thing if if i'm allowed to say something is really the large language models and the ai that's that's recently been released and come to market. I can see no industry that can benefit as much as healthcare. And for us as a company, it's extremely exciting because, I mean, the the capability of of, of these technologies, I think most people understand it by now, but it's really hard to make good use of if you haven't done the piping beforehand, if you have nowhere to apply it, basically. We, We now as a company sit with... 5,000 clinicians, we've done 8 million visits mm. in four markets. We have all of the technological piping already set up. So our road to getting full benefit of this new technology is going to be very short. And we are already um, moving with that at a high pace. And that, I think, can solve so many problems. That's been very hard to solve in healthcare for a, for, for a long time. So So that would be my my positive wow i'm looking brightly at how that can be used in yes yes and actually do you know what i i've said this a couple of times now but i feel i feel actually overwhelmed when i start to think about what it could do and everything it could be part of and everything that that could lead to and then what you can then layer on top of it again and then again and then it, like it's like mm. the, the 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 potential impact in my mind it's sort of like to the power of every single time and it's sort of like exponentially increasing like and they talk about ai takeoff don't they and 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 all of those things i'm sure from your coding background you've got an interest in that kind of thing but yeah it's uh it's a lot this large language model stuff um it is a lot but what, what i just want to i mean we just want to make sure that people aren't just creating unregulated medical devices out of large language models and smashing them on the app store but i'm sure you guys have got a much more robust way of doing it than that but we'll save that one for another day but we do Kala, listen it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thanks so much for joining me um i feel like i've learned a lot about even what just you do at the head of operations at a company like this. But it sounds like, as I say, Cree's got an incredible responsibility that you're meeting very much head on. 
you've made difficult business decisions recently that have led to what could look like and as you say what, what could easily be if you wanted to profitability so you've got a clear route to that you're still making the investments that you need to in order to grow as a as a positive company in this space and i really hope and i'm glad to see that you are a um a positive company that we can all point to in this space of how to have the right values and do things the right way um I think, yeah, it, all credit that they're hiring people like yourself that have still got a hand on a patient to lead operations, something that requires that deep knowledge of what patients actually care about, what they feel and what they need those journeys to be. Um, so I think, yeah, really nice to speak to you and to learn more about what you guys are up to. So thanks for joining me. Um, if people want to learn more about Cree Livy or they want to learn more about you or get in touch what's the best way for them to do so we of course have a, a web page which is if the the addresses as you would guess them uh, download the app in the market you're in to actually try out the service would be one tip uh, i'm on linkedin and uh, Cree levy are as well so that would be the typical channels i guess hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.